The Apostle Paul calls the Christian life from start to finish a race. It's a race that starts the moment you're born again and finishes the day you die and wake up in heaven. In fact, Paul doesn't just simply talk about running, but even winning this race. And he doesn't talk about it at the end of his life, but really midlife. In fact, many believe that Paul is in his early 50s. He's probably 10 years into ministry and has about 10 plus years left to to finish ministry. And he says, when I finish, I want to finish well. In fact, listen to his words. Keep in mind, our Olympics coming up in Japan and I want you to I want you to take this in perspective as Paul begins to compare two gold medals and two races. Here's what he says. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins, and then he gives this emphatic call, run to win. And then he says this in verse 25, all good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. But you're after one. Here it comes. That's gold eternally. These next two, this next verse is so powerful. He says, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. I love that. And then he says, no sloppy living for me. I, I want to talk to you about finishing well today. Paul would be running now, as we said, for 10 more years of ministry and realizes when I get to the end, I want to get to the end well. Beginning well takes a moment. Ending well, that's a lifelong pursuit. It was Dr. J. Robert Clinton, a professor at Fuller Seminary, who did a study of leadership in the Bible and determined, you ready for this? That only 30% of them finished well. Man, those are catastrophic figures. See, Clinton, as he studied those, came to this conclusion that there are six factors, I'm just gonna give them to you very quickly, that he says that contribute to the leadership failure of those other 70%. Here's what he says. One, leaders quit learning and growing. He says contentment becomes a killer. Character weakness. This is when you talk about from from morality to to other areas, from being um, irresponsible or being even from dealing with money. Then he says, three, leaders stop living according to their convictions. They're listening to voices and everybody else instead of the convictions of God and the Holy Spirit. Number four, they stop living and leading for the sake of the long-term and settle for the short-term. Number five, they forget their influence and purpose that every decision they, they make has ripple effect. And then number six, which is most critical, leaders who end poorly lose their vibrant relationship with God. Listen to these words, they stop praying. And when you stop praying, you'll end horrible. Join the 70%. As a, whether you're a leader, a professor, a Christian, a churchgoer, it just doesn't matter. But when you begin to stop seeking God and calling upon God, this is what happens. See, it's easy to live long, but it's not easy to finish strong. Even in our country today, from all the, uh, all the breakthroughs in the medical field, they're even saying now that out of 100,000 people, this is the new stats, that 88,000 people will reach 50 years old, 70,000 out of 100 will make it to 70, 17,000 even to 85, um, 17,000 will make it to 85, which means people are living longer, but it doesn't mean we're finishing stronger. And that's why this this three-chapter bio today is going to begin to challenge us, not just to start well, but to finish well. 
It's about a man that lived long, but didn't finish strong. And his name is King Asa. It's a, it's a short read of an important life. In fact, I started to read this biography, these three chapters, 48 verses every single day for a certain amount of time period, just to challenge my own life. King Asa, the great-grandson of Solomon, and I was hoping to see something from maybe even his great-grandfather come upon him, wisdom, but he doesn't. He starts like Solomon and really ends up finishing like Solomon. Here's, here's the ending of Asa's life in the three chapters, 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. Here's the ending. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, these are important words, he did not seek the Lord, but physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign, a two-year disease. This disease comes at year 39, lasts for two years, and this is what I want to talk to you about today, diseased feet. This is so important because this man who stopped seeking the Lord who sought the Lord for 35 years and stopped seeking the Lord as he's coming around the final turn of the track. His last six years begins to put seeking the Lord off to the side and literally ends as a train wreck. See, diseased feet, I believe, is not just simply a physical condition, but it's a spiritual one. Diseased feet is the end result of a church like Asa that no longer prays and seeks God Which means this, when you stop praying, that kingdom progress stops, but church activity can still go on. God help us. That's why Paul, the apostle, says it like this in Romans 15. He says, how will they preach unless they are sent? And just as it is written, here he starts quoting Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. See, the church needs beautiful feet, not diseased feet to carry that good news. And I want to show you through the life of Asa how we can be warned and even challenged to finish well. It's the summation of a king who has enormous potential, who started amazing but ends in tragedy. And his disease comes in the 35th year of his reign and the last six years begins to become a problem because he didn't realize that he has to finish this race. I I was taken back by an Olympic story as we approach the Olympics coming up here shortly. It was the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. And it was it was Stephen Akwari from Tanzania, the story that caught my attention. He was a marathon runner sent by his country, run, won some marathons in Africa and even qualified for the Olympics. But what he faced in Mexico City, he never thought he would ever, he never encountered before in Tanzania. It was the altitude which caused his legs to cramp severely. But he still kept running in the marathon of the 1968 Mexico City Olympics. Then about halfway through the race, he tangled with some other runners, fell, dislocated his knee, scraped up his leg, hurt his shoulder, but it didn't even stop him. With terrible injuries, cramped muscles, slowing him down, and and, and laboring just to breathe, he was only one of 75 people to finish this race. In fact, he was, he was the last one to finish this race. But when he came into that stadium, only a few people there, and those few people started to cheer for him as this brave runner started to circle the track literally hours after the race was complete. 
And when it was all said and done, people have gone home, just a few people in the stands, and hours that the medal ceremony has all been done, an interviewer came up to, to him and asked this Tanzanian marathon runner. They said, why didn't you quit when you were hurt and bruised, bloody and discouraged? Why didn't you quit? And I love his answer. He said, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And I want to tell you today, beloved, we're going to finish this race. We're going to finish this race for the glory of God. My, my heart's been challenged. I've been looking through. It, it hasn't gone to print yet, but Pastor Carter Conlin, our overseer, has been working on a book called Winning the Race, about finishing well. And it's one of those things that I, as I was reading through it, it's been challenging me on how to win this race. I, I think of Billy Graham, who finished well, one of the biggest names in the last half century. 2.2 billion people have heard him preach around the world. 2.2 billion, 185 countries he has preached the gospel, has had audiences and shared the kingdom principles, the gospel with 13 presidents. In fact, in 1963, it was he, Billy Graham, who posted bail for Dr. Martin Luther King after his arrest during the civil rights protests. And 2.2 million people have made a decision to be born again and start this Christian race. Asa is a textbook on not finishing well and not like Billy Graham. And we can learn from his life, I believe. And I, I want you to get this, wherever you are in your journey, whether you became born again just last week or you've been walking with God for 35 years, I want you to understand these three chapters have something to say to all of us to help us to finish well. In fact, I want to take each chapter from 2 Chronicles 13, 14, and 15 and just build on it to help us as we run this race today. Number, first, chapter 14, number one. I want you to get this now. It all starts with prayer, it continues in prayer, and it has to end in prayer. Martin Luther was right. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I have to tell you today, there is no substitute for prayer. Prayer, just talking to God. See, we have churches that know how to sing but don't pray. We can preach, but we don't pray. We can serve, but we don't pray. We can travel around the world, but we don't pray. We can, we can do all these other things. Churches, church, I want to just tell you, if there's not a prayer meeting, a weekly prayer meeting there, whether you're a leader, an elder, wherever you are around the world, I want to challenge you today, start a prayer meeting because this is the only thing that gets us to finish well. Elsa, uh, Asa starts, starts his journey praying and the last six years of his life puts it off to the side and we're going to see it when we get to chapter 16 and all of a sudden, everything begins to become a train wreck for him. I think of one of the spiritual fathers in my life, Leonard Raven, who said, quit, quit playing, start praying. Quit feasting and start fasting. Talk less with men. Talk more with God. Listen less to men. Listen to, listen to the words of God. Skip travel and start travail. A godly man, I believe, a godly woman, is a praying man, is a praying woman. And we cannot get away from this, what D.L. Moody said. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. We, we have a world that's crying out for prayer to go to D.C. to the White House. We need prayer in God's house. And it won't come any other place unless it starts with us. That's why Billy Graham, who finishes well, says to get, na to get nations back on their feet, we have to get the nations down on their knees. And that's why I believe history is silent about any revival 
that did not begin with prayer. When I was reading the words of Samuel Chadwick in his book on prayer, it challenged me. He says, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from a prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion, laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but get this, but trembles when we pray. I was reading the story of a church that was starting service, and as the organist was about to pray, play, um, he hits the keys on the organ and nothing comes out. The place is in this uncomfortable silence and then the pastor steps up to start praying because they, because they couldn't sing and they had to fix the organ. The janitor was aware of the fact that he hadn't plugged in the organ as he was cleaning up the stage. So he went, plugged it in and wrote a note and handed it to the organist. Here's what the note said. After the prayer of the pastor, the power will be on. Wow, that's it. That's the answer. Church, churches around the country and around the world, the power comes on when the churches pray. It starts in prayer, continues in prayer, and ends in prayer. And the most important prayer you can ever pray, I'm gonna tell you about it at the end, is how to begin this journey. It's a prayer on saying, God, I want to be born again. See, prayer becomes the centerpiece of this great King Asa when he first starts. Three times in chapter 13, it says these words. He commanded the people to seek the Lord. Verse 7, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. Verse 11, Asa calls to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says that Asa's kingdom had rest for 10 years. But when the enemy comes in, he'll go from rest to strength because he's a man that's seeking God. A million man army from Ethiopia comes and attacks. He's outnumbered two to one. And it says in verse eight that Asa with 500,000 men doesn't have enough to match them, but he does have God who's in charge. So what, what do you do when you've been seeking God before the battle? That means you call on God in the battle. Let me say that again. What do you do when you've been seeking God before the battle and the battle comes? That means you call on God in the battle. And in verse 11, that's exactly what Asa does. Asa's prayer before facing a million men is so powerful. In fact, this prayer just goes right along with what he's been doing and the people have been doing up to this point. Listen to his prayer. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, Lord God. For we trust in you and your name have, and, and in your name have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are a God. Let not man prevail against you. And verse 12 says that the Lord routed the enemy army, not 500,000 men of Asa, not Asa's strength. It says the Lord routed the enemy. Prayer is the key to any church. Prayer is the key to victory. Prayer is the key even to rest. Prayer is the key to what God wants to do in the future. I, I have a, a Bible study plan that I'm reading. And I was so challenged just last week to hear this story. It's a reading program by an old Scottish preacher in the 19th century named Robert Murray McShane. You read four chapters a day, and it's by the end of the year, you've gone through the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice, and it, over the years, has been such a challenge to me. Dr. R.T. Kendall is the one that introduced it to me many, many years ago. And the story of this Scottish preacher after he passed away at 29 years old, whose Bible reading program, Revival Came to His Church, a powerful, powerful um, man that was a praying man, sought the Lord, after the death of McShane, 
The story says that a visitor went to see the great church where revival hit, where this man would preach heaven down. And while this visitor came there, the janitor was working on the church and he asked if he could see the place where he studied and the place where he preached from. So the janitor brought him to the desk of Robert Murray McShane and his books were there. And the janitor said to him, he said, sit down. He says, now put your elbows on the table. The visitor obeyed and he says, now put your face in your hands. And he said, let the tears flow. That's the way McShane used to do it. And then he brought him to the pulpit. And as he brought him to the pulpit, he says, put your elbows on the pulpit. And he says, put your face in your hands. And he says, let the tears flow. That's the way that McShane used to do it. Listen to those words again. Put your face in your hands and let the tears flow. That's a man that seeks God. That's a man who knows where his strength comes from. That's why I'm so thankful for our prayer meeting every Tuesday night that's being challenged. We're being challenged by Pastor Carter Conlin, our, our general overseer. He is a man that puts his face in his hand, let the tears flow. That's what David Wilkerson did when this, why this church is here. Put his face in his hand and let the tears flow. Folks, listen to me close. It starts in prayer. It has to continue in prayer. And for, for the, for, to finish well, it has to end in prayer which takes us to chapter 15 of this man's life. Chapter 15, I want you to get this. Your strength will equal your days. These are such important words. The, the Boston Marathon, that, that, that famous race, has a spot in it called Heartbreak Hill at mile 19. And it's there that, that this steep hill begins to become the very thing that makes and breaks everyone from finishing the race. And, and, and we have to understand how much this can become part of the Christian life, that we face a heartbreak hill that seems to want to take away, that's going to deplete our strength. And I want to challenge you today to know that every heartbreak hill ahead for you individually, as a family, as a church, God will always give strength to equal your days. In, in Asa's life, a new character enters in. And this is an important name. Azariah is a prophet. And he's going to challenge Asa to keep doing what he's been doing all along, which is seeking God. Why? Because Heartbreak Hill is about to come. Heartbreak Hill is going to show up in the next chapter. God was about to give Asa everything he needs to face, face Heartbreak Hill. He was going to give him a strength. Here it comes to equal his days, to face the future. It was a prep word, um, an equipping word. It was a word from heaven. God was going to give Asa the strength to equal his days that, that, he, that he would be prepared for. In, in the list of American presidents, only one of those presidents shows up twice, Grover Cleveland, who served two non-consecutive terms. He shows up as the 22nd and the 24th president of the United States. I mean, for us here in New York City, he's the president who dedicated the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor. Um, he was he was the president that 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 something helped him make it through some of the most difficult times. He was he was the son of a preacher, and he grappled with some of the most titanic issues in office in the middle of a national financial panic. He faced personal crisis. He's diagnosed with cancer had to do surgery in a boat. The secret of, of President Grover Cleveland, he says, was this verse that he got with growing up in the church that hung 
over his bed that before he went to sleep at night and every morning he woke up, he looked on his wall and it was Deuteronomy 33:25, And it were these words, your strength will equal your days. Your strength will equal your days. This is what God was giving to, to, to really to Asa through the prophet Azariah. Listen to it. The spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, here comes, here comes strength to equal the days. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And here's the challenge. Keep doing what, if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Obed, the prophet spoke, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of, of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And then he restored the altar of the Lord, which is in front of the porch of the Lord. This man took courage at those words. He was gaining strength to equal the days that were coming, to face heartbreak hill. Because he knew this journey had to start in prayer, continue in prayer, and finish in prayer. Why? Heartbreak kills coming, and God has to give strength to equal your days. That's why when you get to 2 Chronicles, I'm sorry, verse 12 of, of this chapter in 2 Chronicles 15, it says they entered into a covenant. This is how serious this was. To seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord, this verse kind of got me when I was reading this. Whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, men or women. Now, this may be a little too much, killing people who didn't show up at the prayer meeting, but let's, but let's be honest. This, this is to not pray with, with your church, to not pray as an individual, to not join a prayer meeting. Even If you need a prayer meeting to join, just join us on Tuesday nights. Literally is suicide. It's spiritual suicide. Chapter 14 in this man's life has to seek the Lord three times. This chapter 15, five times in verses 2, 4, 12, 13, and 15. Prayer is the centerpiece, the centerpiece of this king's ministry. Eight times in 34 verses, the phrase of seeking the Lord is there. But this phrase, seeking the Lord, is, is, is present. It's not so much praying that they say, but it's seeking the Lord. What makes, what makes seeking the Lord different than praying to the Lord? I want to, this, this is important. Where prayer has, 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 has speaking involved, seeking is different. Prayer is, is asking for things, but seeking the Lord is asking not for things, but asking for him. It's seeking an audience. It's inviting him to come, for God to be present. We need a church that, that, that we need a church with God present, God there. Not a church with simply God's stuff, but a church with God himself. And, and what's crazy about the story, when, when you start praying, I want to just tell you something. Nothing is off limits. Prayer re even reveals things that you can't even see with your natural eye. I, I, listen to this verse. Remember, he got courage to go up Heartbreak Hill and what he's going to face. And I have to believe this is the beginning of Heartbreak Hill. Listen to the first thing he does after he enters a covenant. You know what he does next? He also removed Maaka. You ready for this? 
the mother of King Asa from the position of queen mother because she had made a hard image as an Asherah and Asa cut down the image, crushed it, burned it, and threw it in the brook of, of, of Kidron. Do you understand what that man just did? He just said, it doesn't even matter whether it's my mother. If this isn't right, if this isn't God, then it shouldn't be there. It's his mother. But that's what prayer does. Prayer That sometimes can be heartbreak hill that you're having to deal with things that even your own flesh and blood is trying to come in and almost contaminate what God is wanting to do. But God will always give you the strength. That's what Azariah's word was. It was strength to equal his days. It was a word to face the battle of dealing with a family member, the battle that was coming in the next chapter with a new king that's that called King Baasha. And this is what makes this so important. If Asa's life, and this is the part I want you to get. If Asa's life ends in chapter 14 and 15, he goes down as one of the greatest kings in, 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 in the Old Testament. But there is a chapter 16. And we're going to get to that in a second because he's in chapter 16, he's circling his final lap. It's when we feel we can do life, lead, lead a church, pastor a church, lead a family, have a successful marriage without God and simply by our own experience or our past successes. You know what that is? I'm going to give you a name for it. I call it Christian atheism. It's doing things without God, doing the things that you needed God before, and now you're just basing it upon my experience and my success, and I can just kind of put it in neutral and do this. Two things Asa needed to do to finish well, that is seek the Lord and listen to the Lord. If you seek the Lord, God will speak, and then you have to listen to him. My, my daughter and I, we're walking on the street. I was walking with her um, a couple of days ago. And, and while we were walking, we were just talking. And as we were walking, I saw a lady sitting at the top of the subway stairs here off Broadway. And she's sitting there with a suitcase, obviously just this packed. It, it, it just gave the, the appearance of homelessness. And I saw her hands uh, covering her face and hunched over. And we walked right by her. And I have to tell you, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me right there and said, go back and help her. Go back and give her finances to help her. Whether that gets her a place, whether that gets her food, whatever whatever that is. And I just kept walking and I just, I said, God, I, I, I just dismissed the voice. Anna, I started slowing down my pace. Anna, my daughter started walking ahead. And I just looked at Anna and said, I have to go back. I have to go back. I remember going back and this woman looking at me with this, this like, surprised that someone would stop, take notice of her. And I remember looking at her and saying, the Holy Spirit told me just to turn around. The Holy Spirit told me that. And I, and I have to tell you, don't grow hardened to the voice of God. When God speaks, he's giving you strength. He's giving you something to face every heartbreak kill, to face every, every, every family member that seems to maybe come against you. And we have to get attuned to hearing his voice. It, it's true. I, I have to say this, to, to finish well, it starts with prayer, continues in prayer, ends with prayer, and he will give you strength to equal your days. But, but, but there's a chapter 16. This biography ends in the third chapter. And the best way I could say it is this, when you don't take Azariah seriously, then you will face Hanani. That's gonna be another prophet that's gonna come. See, if 2 Chronicles 14 and 15 cover 35 years of his reign. 2 Chronicles 16 cover the last six years of his 41-year reign. And the word from Azariah in chapter 15 that we just read, the strength to equal his days, 
was to get him through the last six years of chapter 16. That word that the prophet spoke, that word that your pastor, that, that you're reading in the word, that your pastor is preaching, reading in the word, is, is to face every heartbreak hill, to face everything. It's strength to equal your days. But instead of getting victory, he has to get another prophet who's gonna about, about to rebuke him. See, the first was to equip and warn, but now he's about to be rebuked by a new prophet that's gonna show up. I'm not a fan. Um, I don't watch it. It just, it's something that doesn't interest me, but I was reading something about NASCAR racing that these, these cars that are traveling 200 miles an hour, 200 to 250 times around the track. And what you have to understand is to make those, to make it around the track 200, 250 times, I started to ask the question, how, how many times do they have to stop? Do they, they can't do it the whole time and they can't. They said between four to 12 times, those cars have to stop. They have to, whether it's tires or to get gas or to, to, to get the car, the engine serviced, that in order to finish that race, each competitor has to submit to a pit crew, has to submit to people that is gonna to begin to work on the engine. And, and I, have, I have to believe that, that, that we in this race have to do the same thing. You can't just keep running and running and running and just put it in neutral. That every time we begin to realize going in this race, we have to pull it into the, into the pit and just go, God, come speak to us. Fill me up. Fill me up with the Holy Spirit. Fill me up with the presence of God. It was May, it May 29, 2011, where Dale Hart Jr. was, was rounding the last lap of the Charlotte Motor, Motor Speedway, who is, who is raced, um, dozens and dozens of times, never won the Coca-Cola 600. And it said, because he didn't stop into the pit to get gassed up, it says, when he came to the last lap, he ran out of gas and lost the race because he didn't stop. God is calling his church back to prayer. He's calling them back to get filled up again. The church that doesn't heed this is in danger of becoming irrelevant. The church that doesn't pray ends up plagiarizing. Let me say that again. The church that doesn't pray will plagiarize. They'll look to everybody else to give them something instead of looking to God who's wanting to speak to them. This life, it begins to start in prayer. It continues in prayer. And in order to finish this well, we've got to end in prayer because every heartbreak kill, everything we face, God will give us strength to equal our days. Pa pastors and leaders are out of gas and trying to fill up on cheap fuel when the real fuel is found in seeking God in the prayer closet. Asa reigns 41 years Five years left, and then all of a sudden, as he's rounding the track for the last for the last six years, he's about to run out of gas. And instead of pulling in and going, let me seek God, here's where it gets great, crazy, and even scary. A few new names enters the story, and this is how it ends, and we close. In the 36th year of his reign, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in into Asa's, into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa... This is what should have said next, sought the Lord. That's what it should have said. He did that with the Ethiopians. He gets the word from, 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 from the prophet Azariah. If you seek God, God will be with you. And in verse two, instead of seeking God, it says Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house. He takes the resources that God gave to him in victories and sent them to Benadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, an enemy king, and said, let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. I've sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with the king of Israel and he will withdraw from me, is what he says. No more seeking the Lord, but striking deals. 
He gets comfortable with resources and becomes a businessman instead of a praying man. He knows numbers, but he doesn't know God. He knows how to administrate, but he doesn't know how to pull in and seek God anymore. I I, want to give you a side note here for just a second. I'm learning this more and more. When I think about this man, Asa, and and now brokering deals instead of going into the presence of God, I want to give you one of my favorite verses that I, that I begin to use when the enemy comes against me. No, don't use this one. Don't use 2 Chronicles 16. But I want to read this to you in, in Psalm 118 out of the message. This is such powerful. When the enemy comes against you, listen to me. Listen, listen to me, Christians. This is what David says out of, the, out, out of the message. When I'm pushed to the wall, I call to God. Here's Asa being pushed to the wall and brokering a deal. Pushed to the wall, I call to God. From wide open spaces, he answered. God's now at my side and I'm not afraid. Who would dare lay a hand on me? Listen to this. God's my strong champion. I flick off my enemies like fleas. Far better to take refuge in God than to trust in people, not the king of Damascus. And look at this. Far better to take refuge in God than trust in celebrities. Wow. I've been in ministry now 38 years. I started when I was 19. I'm 57 years old. This story means a lot to me. I don't know how much longer I have. But what happens to Asa at year 36, I'm, I'm at year 38, that you start relying on your own experience. You start replying, uh, relying on what you know and even who you know and stop praying and start administering. This was, this was to me like an Azariah word saying, don't stop seeking him. Go deeper in prayer. And in fact, I want to just challenge you. And you're, you're going to get, um, you, as we get closer to opening up in-person service, as New York is lifting restrictions, and we're going to get ready to meet back in the house of God and praise him um, all together again. Before we open the doors of this church, we are going to take three days of going back to prayer and fasting. We're going to start in prayer. This church started in prayer. It's continued in prayer. And we're going to finish in prayer. What is scary is that Asa hires Benadad to help him against King Baasha. He brings out silver and gold from the house of God. And, 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 and here's what's scary. Did it work that he didn't seek God, but he administrated and brokered a deal from an enemy king to stop something? Did it work? Ready for this? This is big. When Baasha heard of it, this is the king that was coming against him, he ceased fortifying Rama and stopped his work. This is huge. Just because something works doesn't mean it's God. Just because you use the reason, just because God did something for you doesn't mean it's right. Human ingenuity and spirit-led don't always equal the same thing. I, I, this is my personal pursuit. I just finished the book of Revelation a few weeks ago. And as I finished it, I got to the last chapter. There was one verse that jumped out at me and I just said, God, this is what I want for my life, for our church, for your church around the world. Listen to Revelation twenty-two seventeen: The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. This is... I think so important for us as a church. Did you see that? It says the spirit and the bride say come. That says this to me. 
the Holy Spirit and, and his church say the same thing at the same time. I don't want to be off by one step. If the Holy Spirit is saying come, I want to say come. I want to say it when he says it. I want to, I want to make sure I'm doing my pit stops, not trying to run on fumes, not just doing church activity. I want kingdom progression. I want to know that we're going to finish this well, that God is close, that we're saying come when God says come. And here's the conclusion of his life. Three years later, what happens to Asa? That when it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, it says this in verse 12, in the 39th year of his reign, he becomes diseased in his feet, a disease so severe he wouldn't even seek the Lord, but he sought the physicians. He did not seek the Lord. And eight times in 2 Chronicles 14 through 15, Asa seeks him. But once you get to chapter 16, seeking the Lord is absent from this man's life. All gone. It's not even there anymore. What's amazing is the man who commanded and made a covenant with the people to seek the Lord doesn't even do it himself. So Asa sleeps with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. Reigns 41 years, and for 36 years, he's a king that seeks God. Then the last five years, he couldn't finish because he couldn't, he wouldn't seek God. Year 36, he starts brokering deals. Year 39, he gets a disease, and instead of talking to God, he's talking simply to doctors, and two years later, he dies. He loses his connection with God. I want to just challenge you today. I want you to listen. I played baseball in high school and ran track a few times only because they needed someone to help with the relays. And I remember when they asked, they gave me a crash course because they needed somebody to run a certain leg of the relays. And I was, it was, I was horrible, but I had the crash course and we were able to participate. But I remember what they said to me how to finish. They said, when you finish, and it may look ridiculous, they didn't say, put your hand across or put your foot across. It says you put your head across. You stretch out and your head goes across. The words of Jesus is so important to me. Listen to what Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you that in me, you, have, you can have peace. In the world, you will have tri tribulation. But then he gives us this encouragement. No matter what we face, whether it's a million man army whether we're having to face um, a family member like, like Asa did, a mother that, that is, is trying to upend the prayer time, the, 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 the walk with God, whatever we're faced with. He says, take courage. I, this is what he says, you take courage. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. He didn't say you overcame, I overcame the world. Jesus was saying something about him going first. What does that mean, Pastor Tim? It means this. If you're connected to him, remember, head goes over first. If you're connected to him, if he wins, you win. What he was saying in John 16, if he overcomes, you overcome. Pastor Tim, how does that work? You ready for this? You're the body of Christ. If the head goes, the body goes with it. If you're connected to him, Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He says, if I overcome, you overcome. Take courage. The whole body, hallelujah, crosses over. Jesus is the head of the body. We are the body of Christ. And if he crosses and we're connected to him, we cross. And that's why the biggest thing, biggest question I can ask you today is, are you in Christ? Are you connected to Christ? Not are you in a church, not are you in a denomination? Are you in Christ? 
See, that relationship about being connected to the head, that image from race to head to body is, is really a relationship that Jesus defines how to be connected as being born again. It's, that's the starting point. And I want to help you get started well. Because I, and by starting well, it's getting you to God, getting you connected to God. Okay, how do I become born again? How do I get connected with God? This is Jesus' phrase, the phrase born again. In fact, it's a phrase that is, is, is teaching us in John 3, that Jesus is teaching us that just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Pastor Tim, is born again that important? Absolutely. John 3, 3 says this. Jesus said, no man can see the kingdom of heaven. Finish the race unless they're born again. In fact, he says in John 3, 5, that you must be born again. What Jesus was telling us is this. This is how you get connected. You cannot finish this race unless you're connected to the head, which is Jesus himself. John 16, 33. If I overcome, you get to overcome. If I cross, you cross. If I win, Jesus says, you get to win. Okay, Pastor Tim, if born again connects me, then how does that happen? Because I know I'm in a church. I know I'm in a denomination. I even, I know I was in water and got baptized. And, and I know I, I, I'm in good standing with membership. But none of that means anything. It's good stuff. But that's not what Jesus did. You have to be in Christ. How does that happen? How do I become born again? It's as simple as ABC. Each one of those letters stand for something. A, it's admitting that you're a sinner. It's literally getting honest with God and saying we all have a condition called sin that we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix it with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor. I need help to fix that. That It's a diagnosis called sin. I have to admit that I'm a sinner. As one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance, but a second birth. Well, how does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's believing that God sent his son to fix what we couldn't fix, to fix our sinful condition, because I can't fix myself. If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross. But Jesus' death on the cross was Jesus being my sin bearer, taking my sins and dying in my place. He died the death I should have died, lived the life I couldn't live, and gave me a reward, heaven, forgiveness, got me in the race, and is gonna help me finish the race, connected to the head, so I can finish this race well. And I didn't even deserve it. And then finally see it's confessing him as Lord. You're in charge now. That God didn't send his son to die on the cross, to resurrect from the dead simply to get me to church for an hour or two on Sunday. But he did that to get me to heaven for eternity and forever. When people ask you to come to church, that's religion. When people ask you to come to Christ, that's gonna be a relationship. Church religion once one day a week a relationship, being born again, says it's every day of the week. Lord means your boss now. God, you call the shots. Romans 10, 9 and 10. When you say, Lord, you're saying you have final word over my life. And today, God wants to get you connected. God wants you to be born again. God wants you to start your race today. And if you're saying, yes, Pastor Tim, I want to start that race today. Wherever you're at, whatever country you're watching from, whether you're here in the heart of New York City, in the Bronx, or Manhattan, or Staten Island, wherever you're at, or whether you're in the tri-state area, around this country, and around the world, today, some of you need to start your race by being born again. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Wherever you're at, 
It doesn't matter when you're listening. You don't have to pray this on a Sunday. You can pray it any day. Today is that day. You're going to start this brand new race. And we believe by the grace of God, you're going to finish well. Come on, I want you to pray this with me. If you're saying, I want to start this race, I want to start this journey, this journey that's going to take me all the way into eternity, this race that I want to finish on. No sloppy living for me. I'm going to finish this well. If that's you today, I want you to pray this with me. Come on, say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.